Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Launch University Podcast. Kevin Jennings here with you today, and David Farmer is, uh, I guess, my, my tag team uh, mate on this one. How you doing, David? I'm doing good, Kev. Always love partnering with you. Man, it's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you in a few weeks um, in person. But today, we are, I'm actually in Nashville. You're in Atlanta. And our guest, Bethany Wilkinson, is also in Atlanta. So Bethany actually was one of the people who helped me become a full-time entrepreneur uh, because her and the Plywood team, through their retreats and their events, and those who don't know about Plywood, uh, if you go back just a few episodes, we actually aired a replay of our interview with uh, the founder, Jeff Schinnerbarger. And so... Bethany is on that team as a director of programming. So much of what Plywood is known for, uh, mainly its annual conference, she runs point on all of that. And so, uh, Bethany, thank you for being on the podcast with us today. Of course. I'm excited to be here. It's a huge honor and gift to be able to connect with y'all and to share with this community. Well, for well, for what we so a couple of months ago, I think what now will be four or five months ago, I was at a retreat for plywood and um, you all changed the format up and allowed us all to share, but you presented as well. And you presented something you're working on called the diversity gap, which is an incredible project about the future of culture in the workplace um, and, and really how that starts the diversity. And then a few months after that, David said, Hey, Kevin, we have to get Bethany on the podcast. She's working on this really incredible project. We should talk about it. And I was like, Oh yes, please. I heard her talk about that not so long ago. It was so incredible. And then we went back and reread my notes for this interview and I was like man this is so good so uh, David I'm, I'm curious before we even jump all the way into hearing her project just what stood out to you that made you say okay I have to get Bethany on this podcast well I'll, I'll give a little bit of context I've been on the uh, plywood board for a couple of years and I'm a huge fan of the organization and Jeff Schinnerbarger the founder he gets referenced a lot on our podcast because he has he's sort of been in the middle of connecting us with lots of folks but I remember a couple of years ago um, he um, touted Bethany. Bethany, he shared a message that you actually, a, a talk you gave at a church. And he asked us to listen to it. And I think he was uh, developing uh, kind of a professional relationship with you. And it was maybe the beginning of you coming over to be part of the Plywood staff. But here's what I know. Uh, I think Jeff has incredible judgment. And so when he is big on somebody, that gets my attention. And he was big on Bethany. And uh, Bethany has been a great addition to the Plywood staff. It's a small staff, so you know there's no room for anybody that's not going to contribute at a high level. But she's done that. I have learned that Bethany uh, is an incredible communicator. And Kevin, I know we want to we want to unpack that a little bit with Bethany. But uh, Jeff is really excited about this content and this project that Bethany's been working on. In fact. Uh, I guess maybe two months ago, Bethany, we were at a, a board meeting and I got to hear you share uh, and, and you didn't even have a lot of time to get into it, but you gave us kind of a quick overview. And I think it was after that, Kevin, I came back and 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 you had had an experience and I shared my experience and we figured out, you know, we got to, we need to get Bethany to come and share. So uh, excited that you're doing this. Uh, we get to, she's really right in the middle of a journey that she can talk about that includes creating and sharing content that I think is going to be really meaningful. So for others that are interested in that, uh, I think they can learn from the way Bethany's going about it. Yeah, so I Bethany, agree. thanks. Indeed. Yeah, of course. So, so we've, we've clearly now made everyone think, wow, what is this? 
because they won't tell us anything. Again, that's because she does such a great job communicating and that we would actually do it a disservice. So Bethany, would you yeah. mind introducing uh, both yourself a little more of the things you want to highlight, but also um, just the project, the diversity gap? Yeah. Um, gosh. So I feel like the things y'all just shared, I mean, yes, I'm director of programming at Plywood. We're a nonprofit that supports social impact entrepreneurs. And I've been on the team here for a little over two and a half years. And my background is in um, some church ministry, community development work, but then also in urban farming and agriculture. Um, but I'm also from central rural Georgia. And I've been thinking a lot about race and identity for many years. And um, and so as I kind of left my small town, moved to the city, got involved in college, and then in, in the working world, I realized that there was a, a big gap between what a lot of leaders and organizations intend as it relates to diversity, and then what actually happens on the ground in real relationships. And um, there have been a few things that have illuminated this for me. One has been just sitting down with leaders and having them you know, their hearts are broken about something happening in society, or they're kind of at the beginning of their learning journeys, but then they're like, what do I do now? Like, what strategy do I have? Like, what does this mean for my board of directors? What does this mean for my executive leadership team? That's one gap I perceived. Um, but then on the other side, as a black woman and as a woman of color who works in majority white or majority culture organizations, I've also been in the room where I'm like, okay, these people, they mean so well, but this thing that they're saying is really harmful or this decision that they made will negatively impact other communities of color. So it's like, how can I journey with other organizations and leaders to help them have their value for diversity align more fully with what they actually do in their real relationships, on their actual teams, um, with the people in their lives. So um, that all has led to the diversity gap. It's a project I launched in January of this year, but and it's really been kind of the journey of my professional life, if not just my personal life. Hey, Bethany, who would you say um, is really the, the target audience um, for the diversity gap project? Great question. Um, so I would say it's anyone who is driving change within their organization as it relates to diversity and include to diversity and inclusion. So this could be, I mean, a lot of the research shows that unless executive level leaders are on board and pushing the mission forward, then it doesn't happen. It doesn't sustain. So that's one group. But then I know that for many leaders and people of color, it's just like a personal necessity. And so it's also for leaders of color who are within these organizations also wanting to more effectively drive cultural change. That's great. Can I go can I ask you another question? That's okay, Kev. Um, if you think about the benefit of um, really understanding diversity and inclusion well in an organization, how it can uh, help an organization advance its calling and mission, uh, talk about that a little bit. And even if you know of um, an example of a leader organization that's that's made a lot of great strides and done well, uh, if, if you're comfortable sharing that, love to hear that too. Absolutely. So I, in response to the first part of your question, are you saying what are some of the values to priority, prioritizing diversity and inclusion for a team? Yeah, it, for an organization that does this well, how does it benefit the organization? Yes, absolutely. There's actually a tremendous amount of research on this. One is that if diverse, racially and ethnically diverse teams learn how to perform together, um, they are the most creative, they are the most innovative, they are able to serve a much broader demographic of people, um, and then they are also um, 
they also make more money. And so the key is not only being a diverse team, but being a team that knows how to navigate and make the most of those differences. It doesn't help a whole lot if everyone's in the same room and they come from different racial and ethnic backgrounds, but they don't know how to work together or they don't know how to bring who they actually are to the table. But once they figure it out, more creativity, more innovation, better problem solving, um, wider customer base, and then of course they are actually able to have a better bottom line. Um, and there's tons of research on that, which I think is really exciting. Um, and in response to your second question, um, truthfully, I'm having a hard time finding organizations that are like effectively like pioneering in this way. Not to say that, oh, I've got it all figured out. I'm going to do that. That's not what I'm saying. My posture through the diversity gap is to be a learner. And so I am actually looking for organizations and teams that can be case studies for me. And I'm having a harder time finding it. Um, most communities, they, um, they're either at the very beginning of their journey or they haven't quite flip the culture from being one culture to being multicultural. And so, um, so we're kind of figuring it all out together. That's what I'm finding. You know, I think that's what I love about, first of all, your transparency about that is that's why it's a problem. Right. And, and I, and I think and it, and it's, and it's worthy of being solved. And I think that for many people who are listening to the podcast, you often, be, you know, you, because we talk about the launch loop and, and understanding a problem first, that's because there are still real problems that exist. And uh, one of the things that really I'm, I'm drawn to about this project beyond be, I mean, for multiple reasons, but there's one thing you said earlier and it's the good intentions, right? Like these people want to do the right thing, which means everyone doesn't qualify, right? If you don't, if you actually do not desire to have a, a diverse culture, then you're not a good fit, right? Then, and then I'm not talking to you. This is not for you. And so there's still a clarity of, who is this for? You can say, no, everyone wants that. No, everyone does not want that. And I, th and I think there's a reality there. But one thing I, I'm, I particularly love about what you're doing, Bethany, is you def you're defining diversity well. I mean, I remember when I first got a job with Dave Ramsey, uh, he said that he fired people who gossip. And I remember that kind of freaked me out because I thought, what does that even mean? And he said, oh, I define gossip as talking about anything negative to someone who's unable to solve the problem. And I was like, well, that's clear enough, right? And now I have this track, and I, and I feel like that's what you're doing with diversity. You, I, when I read your work, I'm like, man, this makes sense. I can pass it on to someone else. So for the sake of bringing everyone on the same page, will you define, divers, de define diversity for us? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so I define diversity in a couple of ways. Um, I have a good friend who always says that diversity is the undeniable presence of difference. And I love that. Like it's the undeniable presence of difference. It's like, we are different people. And so um, it has a, a lot of different faces. There's racial and ethnic diversity. There's diversity and military status, diversity and gender, um, all sorts of things, right? Um, at the end of the day, however, for me, diversity is ultimately about dignifying people. And it's about um, celebrating the ways that we aren't the same and the ways that we are the same. It's really about people being able to say, this is who I am and us being intentional about, about acknowledging and celebrating that. Um, yeah, so that's how I think about it. That's fantastic. And, and, and so there was something else that I, I noticed in your work and, I, and I'm not trying to just give all of it away. I made sure I, I actually made sure I didn't ask certain questions because I know that as you share more of this, I didn't want um, to steal any thunder for those of my see you speak in other places. Um, but I, I do feel like we hear these phrases, you know, equity and inclusion and, you know, and, and I was like, well, what role, if any, 
do those ideas, those practices play in helping us develop a diverse culture where differences are celebrated and undeniable? Yeah, so equity, and this is a word that if you Google any of these words, you'll find a million definitions for all of them. The way I think about equity, it's it's the idea that um, just because we are different doesn't mean that we should have different outcomes and experiences based on those differences. And so by that, I mean a lot of people when they're talking about doing equity work, especially racial equity, for example, um, if there is a black person and a white person who grow up in the same city like Atlanta, if there was an equitable, if our society was equitable, that black person and that white person would both have um, the same exact outcomes of their lives. And so an example that I often give, it's a heavy example um, that I pull from Black Maternal Health Week, which was earlier this year, um, is that Black women die during childbirth at a rate that's astronomically higher than white women. The CDC has a lot of reports on this and it's a topic that's really, I'm really passionate about. And so if we lived in an equitable society, a black woman and a white woman could both enter a hospital with the same likelihood of having a healthy labor delivery, all of those things. Like they'd be able to become mothers and it wouldn't be, um, there wouldn't be these disparities based on race if we lived in an equitable society. So if you take that and translate that to out of healthcare into um, housing or um, economic mobility or education, the idea is that anywhere these racial disparities exist, we don't have equity. And so the value for me when I think about um, equity as it relates to diversity work is if we, this is a theory I have, I haven't tested this out, but if we were to design our diversity programs and strategies with the goal of eradicating disparity, how would our strategies be different? If diversity is only about getting a bunch of different people of color in a room, that's one goal. But what if our goal was to actually see disparities erased, to see them disappear? Um, I think our strategies would look a little bit different. So um, that's how I think about equity. And then um, inclusion is about to what extent do people feel like they can belong and fully participate in the work that's happening. And so a lot of times, especially when organizations are at the beginning of this journey, they will move the needle on diversity. They'll get more people of color in a room that was historically majority white. But then the question is, do those people of color feel like they can be heard, like they can contribute freely, like they're able to lead, um, to offer the best of who they are to the organization or company? That's that's the tricky part. And that's where inclusion comes, comes to play. So, um, so yeah, diversity, equity, and inclusion, they're all different. They're defined differently. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, a part of my project is in figuring out the definitions that are most helpful to people. Yeah. And Kevin, I, I might just add, uh, particularly to the last point around inclusion, as you know, I'm with Chick-fil-A and I've been there a long time. So I have seen the organization clearly become uh, more diverse. It's an ongoing uh, journey. But the issue of inclusion, I think we're still trying to learn how, how do you make people feel like, hey, you're not just at the room, but you, you're, you have a seat at the table and, and can contribute like anybody else. And I think that's why I'm really interested in learning more about this topic, because as Bethany referenced earlier, sometimes it's, it's, it's things, signals, symbols, whatever, we're not even conscious of, because they've perhaps 
always been there, been in the organization, but they undermine efforts around inclusion. Um, and it, so it, there's learning, there's growth, there's um, a, a journey that we have to go on to make progress there. So I, that, that's why I like this conversation. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I, I think um, once you start to get to the idea of equity and inclusion, there you have to. There's so much introspection to take place, to, to even uh, to even I mean, like the whole point of culture is that it's it's you no know, societal norms and beliefs and structures that you live in, and so it's it's much like the fish in water. You don't know you're in the water, so you have to almost decode it and say, okay, what what is going on around us that we actually could change. We've just operated as if it could not be changed, as if that is what it is. And so there's a really a, just this process of I'm saying, yeah, what? Yeah. What is our power structure? Why does this person have more influence? You know, I've worked at organizations on the sales and marketing team where the, the highest paid, sales, the highest performing salesperson was pretty much a god. You know, like, hey, you can't say to that person because they're bringing a lot of money and that's it. So the person has this, you know, has this, you know, this big amount of influence. And they may not be the highest ranking official based on decision-making power, but their value to the organization warrants certain things other people would have. Well, we have to own that enough to say, is that okay with us? Do we like that? Are we going to change that? And so that this is really powerful for me, I think, in, in that regard, because I think even for a small team, we have people who are located who don't live in the United States on my team. You know, to what extent does, you know, Cherry, our virtual assistant in the Philippines, still feel like she has a voice when she's not in the U.S.? Um, I think that that matters. So you kind of alluded earlier about what led to you conceiving this idea, but I would love to, for you to kind of unpack your own story a little bit more about when you personally said, okay, this is something that I see and I, and I have to do something about it. Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, um, in 2000, it was 2014, 2015. And, um, it was at, I don't think it was the height of the Black Lives Matter movement in our country, but it was like, if you looked at like anyone's Facebook newsfeed, like it was bubbling. Um, and I was a part of a church and um, me and a couple of the pastors had been really involved behind the scenes, just trying to figure out what does, we, we, we use the language of racial reconciliation in that context, the church faith-based context. What does this mean for our congregation? And so we were already having those conversations in our relationships. And then 2014, 2015, there were more um, killings of unarmed Black men in our country. And, um, and so our community was reeling, like just so much pain and confusion. And if you were on the internet, you saw like all kinds of just vitriol and pain and nonsense, right? And so... Um, in many ways, we were trying to figure out what to do. And so it was in 2015 that me and one of our my friends and pastors, Marge Reynolds, we created Grace Dialogues, which was a day-long um, faith-based anti-racism training, really with the goal of helping our church and our congregation have the language and tools to even converse in a way that was constructive around the topic, because so many of us weren't are not practiced in talking about race cross-culturally. And so um, that was kind of the first iteration where I would lead these workshops for my church. And then it kind of grew a little bit. I was starting to do it at other churches and then other nonprofits. Um, and then I joined the team at Plywood and had to kind of put Grace Dialogues on the back burner because I had a new job. 
but it's something I'm deeply passionate about. And so over the course of my friendship and working for Jeff, he and I have been in an ongoing conversation about what it would look like to create content for startups and businesses and organizations that are also navigating these challenges. So um, in some ways, I guess it was like 2014, 2015, just like personal heartbreak and a need to do something. Um, and now I'm just in a new iteration of that same work. Hmm. You know, oh. Yeah, that, that was when the, the really the Ferguson unrest really um, was all over the news. Yeah, 2014. And not that it wasn't um, an issue before, but I think that really sort of catapulted it to the forefront of um, just everybody's mind in, in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm out, out of curiosity. I mean, you talked about launching this in January of this year, and I'm just curious to ask: Do you was the, was any part of the timing of of you going public with the idea related to just just I mean beyond your own capacity? <laughs> um, did any part of it be saying, "Hey, I feel like there's now enough consciousness about this publicly where organizations want to change," or what made you feel like now is the time? Yeah, I think honestly. So part of it is that I do feel like this work is a part of my vocation. So there is always that like internal, like do something about racism. Um, but also I think Jeff, as my mentor, saw a need for me to have more structure because I was kind of just starting to like speak at random things. And um, and he was like, how about we bring this into plywood and we just give it some structure so that you can like have a process as opposed to you being inundated with invitations to do this work. And, mm. and it was just kind of the idea, the timing worked out with me and for the organization to just kind of streamline it and give it structure. Cause I'm gonna be doing this work on the side anyway, cause that's what I feel created to do. Um, it wasn't so much on my end, it's not that I perceive like, okay, this is the cultural moment. The moment is now. Cause in my mind, the moment's always now when it relates to becoming anti-racist people in the world. Um, but I did have more invitations to contribute to the life of other organizations. And I just needed to streamline it a little bit for my own sense of mind. You, you reference structure. Um, are you the type of person, Bethany, that um, naturally embraces structure? Or does that, you know, some people, they feel like that stifles their thinking, stifles their creativity. Yeah, I like structures that I get to create and can opt out of when I want to. <laughs> yeah. So I struggle when other people give me a structure, but if I create that, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's a big insight because I, I suspect, Kevin, we got a lot of listeners who uh, they've got a big idea, but they need some process. They need a structure and they need to recognize, it, you know, it can be a friend. It's not there to inhibit uh, your effort, but almost to... Um, just to guide and to really enable you to be almost efficient and effective as you kind of unpack it and, and get ready to kind of take it to a point where you can share it or take it to market. Yeah, it so, makes good me, insight. Yeah, well, I just to build on that, I will say as far as the structure piece goes, kind of so my team has helped me create the structure, but then I have checkpoints since I am the kind of person who doesn't want to feel tied down. It's like, okay, let me check in every three months to see if the structure is still working or if it needs to change. So if for creative people who are listening, your structure can change. <laughs> um, it doesn't have to be the same thing forever, which might, which helps me navigate it. Yeah. That's helpful. You know, one of the questions that, so Dave and I were connecting before we got together with you, Bethany, 
about just the question we might want to ask. And one of the questions that David shared with me that I, I feel like now's a good time to ask it. So I'm going to jump in and throw it in there. Which is what you personally had to go through to over to as far as the barriers to even do the project. So 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 now obviously there are plenty of I'm sure personal challenges that led to the work itself. But I would imagine that you know speaking about diversity in a workplace context, in a way that puts handles on it, you know that that almost sucks out some of the, uh, I would just say, political or personal experiences, so that you can actually make organizational progress I feel, I mean I'm like man that can't be easy so I'm just, so I'm, I'm, I mean that's the first thing I thought like, this is hard work which is why I think we both are so drawn to what you're doing because you're doing such a great job communicating it so what's some of the things you've had to overcome as you've been pursuing this work and sharing with others um, I would say a lot of so as it relates to this topic one of the barriers that I've navigated is that there are so many opinions on the right way to do diversity. Hmm. And it has been challenging because my personality is one that wants to, I, I can see room for all of it. Like I want to celebrate everything and everyone, which is a part of a gift in this project, in this work. But it becomes really hard to know what is right and what is best for a specific organization or leader or team because there are so many opinions out there. Um, and then trying to navigate, okay, well, this person has a really great idea that they've posted on Instagram, but how does that roll out over the over the course of an entire organization or team? Is that realistic? Is it not? And so I think um, trying to navigate which ideas are most resonant for which organizations in any given moment has been a challenge. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's one. And then the other barrier... Um, that I'm thinking about a lot is that I feel like I'm serving two very different audiences that have very different needs. And so sitting down to talk with a, an executive leader who comes from a white racial background, who isn't very practiced in thinking about race or talking about it, or just has insecurity around it, again, because of a lack of practice, is a very different thing than sitting down with a person or a woman of color who has different needs in the conversation. And so I think as I'm leading this project, I'm very aware that leaders of color and white leaders have different struggles in this work. And how do I create one project that serves both of them has been an ongoing balance and challenge. And it's something, it's a dance that I'm doing. Yeah, I can say that, you know, as a white male, um, you, particularly in a lot of environments, you don't have to think about race because everything's sort of oriented towards a majority uh, point of view. And I know that's not the case if you're a minority, you know, everything is not oriented towards you. So it's almost difficult to not think about it. So I can certainly see where you're in a, a situation where you're trying to bridge a gap and not only between, um, different ethnic groups, uh, genders, whatever the case may be, but it sounds like even those who applaud you for what you're doing, but may think you need to do it slightly differently. It, it, so just this whole idea of, wow, how, how, do I, how do I take on this project when I'm probably being judged on all kinds of fronts by all kinds of different audiences? That has got to be tough. You have been you you have said I'm going to wade into some turbulent waters. Yep. Yes. Check back with me in about three months after I've launched more content to see how I'm doing. <laughs> well, okay. Can, can I? I'm I go personal here a little bit. Let's just say you get beat up by somebody, 
and you're well-intentioned, um, you're trying to do something that's really helpful, but somebody takes issue with you and you just kind of feel, wow, I just got beat up. What do you do about that? Where do you go to, you know, to um, get some encouragement so you can kind of get back into the fight? That's a really good question. I've never had to do it before, but here's what I think I would do. I would probably have to go offline for a little bit and go on a hike with my husband. <laughs> I would need to get outside. Um, and then I'd probably lean into my family and my community and process it with them. Um, I'm very close to my parents, which helps a lot, and my siblings. But then also my team here at Plywood. It's such a, um, I love my team. Um, and they're, they're so supportive. And so I don't know what will ultimately happen if that happens, but I know that leaning into relationships and kind of taking some time to reflect will be a big part of that process. Yeah, so it illustrates when you take on a, a challenge that's difficult, you, you need some people that you know have your back and they're gonna be there for you um, when you're critiqued, when you're, uh, you know, you, you just, you're not getting a lot of love from the folks you're trying to help. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that um, I said, the, the, you know, one of the questions we talked about was your communication, you know, because we, we, we hear believers that a great idea poorly communicated is a stalled idea. And, and we, be, I mean, I think that David, the fact that David and I heard your, your content separate of one another did not really tell each other we heard it. And then we still converged on this needs to t take place. And, and obviously I am a 20, 30, 34 year old, 24, gosh, 34 year old, wishful thinking, a 34 year old, you know, black male and leading a team. And I lead a team that's predominantly women, predominantly white women work for me on my team. And there is, a, and there's a, yeah, I know. And there's, a, so there's this, so I have my own context through which I am working with my organization. Um, and so I think it really says a lot about how well you're communicating it. And so I am curious, I think David as well, just how you've gone about refining your communication skills and maybe your own skills, but also of the content itself and the, and the research that you're learning to make sure that it, it resonates and speaks probably highly about why you maybe have not been beaten up thus far because you're communicating things so well. Um, so I just love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I think I'm really passionate in this work, kind of like I spoke to earlier, there are so many voices on this topic and I'm on Instagram a lot, maybe it's a millennial thing, but even if you go to Instagram, like it's just insane. And I'm really passionate about talking about diversity race in ways that people can actually understand and apply to their real lives. Like that's a personal passion of mine. Cause I think if we can't understand it and apply it, then it's not useful to anyone. Um, so that's part of it. The other part in terms of like the technicality around my practice around communication, I just, um, I spend a lot of time thinking very deeply and I write a lot. Um, I read a quotation last week, I think that said, if you, if you want to, if you want to know if your idea is clear, write it down, because if you can't get clarity on the written page, then you can't have clarity when you deliver it in front of someone's. And so I spend, I mean, hours per week writing. Um, and I think that helps me just refine my thinking, trim things down, find better words. If I'm using a word that people won't understand, then how can I find an easier definition? Or I just, I just spend a lot, it's a craft, a craft. And so I think about it really deeply. Um, and then I think through different audiences, I think Kevin, when you heard my workshop, that was the first time I'd ever done that talk, but I had the privilege of knowing who would be in the room, 
and what your different races and ethnic backgrounds would be. And I knew a little bit about the companies you were leading. So that helped me think through, does this resonate with Kevin? Will it resonate with Amina? Will it resonate with Ben? Um, what might be missing points for each of them? Well, what are the points that are common for them? So honestly, in terms of my communication practice, it's a lot of just that. It's practice and and a lot of thought. Um, and it just so happens to help that I love words and I love reading and I love writing. And I also try to be open-handed. When I get new information, I'm like, okay, let me scrap the old thing to add the new thing that's better. Um, I think if, if we get too stuck on our first iteration of an idea, then then we aren't able to bring the best version of that thing to the, to the world. Um, we have to be willing to change as needed in order for the content to resonate with the audience. And so that's that's a little bit of my my process. And, and Bethany, it's interesting you use the word crap because I had written that word down before you even said it because I feel like you, I think you recognize that communication is a craft. And uh, as I have heard you speak, I've said, wow, you're, you, you take this seriously and um, you're working on honing the craft. You know, one of our other Launch University partners, Jeff Henderson, he, he's a master at this too. Uh, and he breaks down communication as a craft and he spends an, uh, an inordinate amount of time, as you just said, gathering his thoughts and then rehearsing. But I wanna ask you another uh, question about communication. I, I think um, because this topic is one that is challenging and it can be unsettling to some folks as well, you have to choose your tone and your voice carefully. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about how you chosen a tone and a voice that you think is going to connect and, and resonate with the people that you get to engage with and will ultimately enable the conversation to progress in the way in which you want it to progress? Mm. Um, one of my friends, his name is Jerome, he is a functional neurologist and he does a lot of work around helping people understand fear and perception. And so a few weeks yeah, this was a few weeks ago now. He was doing a workshop for me and our intern team. And he described how for every human, when they enter an interaction, they want to know, um, am I safe? And then will I survive this interaction? Um, and then is it pleasurable? Like, so will this thing kill me? If it's not going to kill me, like, how can I ensure that I'm going to survive? And then lastly, can I enjoy this? And so, and the example he gave, he said, so if a white person comes to a conversation on race, whether they want it to be the case or not, they're trying to make sure that they won't die <laughs> because the way our brains are wired, like extreme fear can feel like you're going to die, right? And so, um, and so it's really important that people have psychological safety if I'm ever going to get them to a point where, they'll, where they will consider changing like how they actually live. And so I think even though it is frustrating sometimes and even though I don't always like the patience that's required, at the end of the day, I want people to consider changing something. And that's not going to happen if they are afraid, if they feel shamed, if they feel judged constantly. If who changes when you yell at them? You know, like it doesn't, it's not constructive in terms of how we actually show up in person. I do think that there is a place, a much needed place actually for, um, for rioting and for anger and for the expression of lament and grief in this work. But I think we have to be able to move from there into places where we can have real conversations in person that maintain psychological safety so that we can then move forward together. So I say all of that to go back to your question about tone. I think tone is incredibly important 
Um, and we have to begin with the end in mind. That's not to say that there's no place for anger. I don't want people to hear that I think anger is, that is bad. I think anger is a part of it. Um, and I think that people riot when they're not understood and when they're not heard as it's a last option, last resort. Um, but for the work that I do, I just, I want people to engage as long as possible, which means that uh, my tone has to match that. Yeah, well, I, I, my observation was that you must have been really thoughtful about that because it seemed to be really effective. So good for you. Hmm. So, um, so, so, so selfishly, and we, we're gonna, we only have a couple more questions. We'll let, we'll let you go. Uh, but there was one thing I, I wrote down and I remember uh, circling in my notes when you sent them back out to us from the Plywood Retreat. And you said, equity is about sharing power with people who are unlike you. And then you defined inclusion about it being about hospitality and welcoming people. I'm curious, based on what you've learned since then, do you still feel that's true? Oh, great question. And PS, um, and PSB, if you hate your answer to all this, we'll cut it out of the podcast. But I, but I was like, I have you and I, and I'm we're talking about this. And I was like, I, I remember that standing out to me. Goes like, man, that's, it's a simple challenge to say, how am I sharing power with people who are unlike me? And I feel like I, I think any person of influence, any organization, even you at Plywood, you have interns. They do not have the power you have, you know, and like that, and that, and that's a, that's just a, they do not have equity. And, and and so it's like, to what extent am I leveraging my influence in my organizational structure to do that? Which I know is not the only concept which you're thinking about this, but I feel, but I, I immediately feel the pressure of that thought all the time because I feel there are times when I might have more influence just because of relationship. Hey, I know Bethany, you don't. And that, and it's just that simple. So I'm just curious your thoughts about that now. Yeah, I think I definitely, it's funny when I define equity earlier. So currently when I do the presentation, if I talk about equity, I present two parts. One is about erasing disparity and the other is about sharing power. And I forgot to share both earlier. So I'm happy you asked about this. Um, I do think that equity is about sharing power. And I think that it's actually one of the, um, probably one of the most effective ways that people of privilege and influence can leverage what they have to create a more equitable and diverse society. And so that example with my intern, no, my interns don't have as much power and influence in our, in my, in our organization, but if an intern does something excellent, I can platform them. I can promote them. I can amplify what they're doing. I can say, I can behind the scenes after they've presented their idea, I can go to my boss and say, Hey, I really am behind this. How can I leverage what I do have, the access I do have to amplify my intern's project? Because I believe it's important. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I think it's it's a good challenge to all of us, um, regardless of how much influence we do or don't have in our organization. And I, I think it's just a healthy practice. Um, and then inclusion about welcoming people. I think that's the first step. Um, mm -hmm. I would say that I, I now think it's about welcoming people. And then it's also about being willing to change what you have to in order for those people to stay engaged and to stay a part of what you're doing. Um, a big question business leaders have that I've discovered is, you know, as they're hiring, you know, is like, is this person a good cultural fit? And what does it mean to be a cultural fit within an organization? Well, reality is if you're trying to diversify, you need people who are not a good fit. You need people who can contribute culturally. Um, and so that means some things, it's not just about welcoming them, but it's about being willing to have your culture go through a season of uncertainty so that a new culture can emerge. And 
Um, and so I would build that on top of my other thoughts on inclusion. Wow, that's a that's a big idea. I got one more question for you, if I may, Bethany. Um, just th this is around the counsel you would give uh, two different folks on a team or within an organization. One would be, what's the counsel you would give the leader of the team or the organization? And I just may note what you said around equity, sharing power. I think that's awesome. So is there something even beyond that you would coach the leader to do? And then secondly, for someone that's not the leader, but they want to be a change agent in a really healthy way around this issue of the diversity gap, what would you encourage them to do to be an effective change agent? Um, I would say, honestly, I think my advice to both of them is kind of similar. Um, for the leader, I find that it's incredibly important for leaders are on journeys of learning, hopefully, correct? So um, my hope would be that leaders go out of their way to understand the big picture systems that exclude people. And I think this is a huge gap because it takes so much time. Like people have their PhDs in diversity kinds of things, right? But in as much as a leader can expand their understanding of racism and figure out why that matters in their organizational context or sexism or any of those big systems, I think that's so important. And I know that it takes a lot of time, um, but I think it will make them more effective as they try to change their culture because those systems are operating. And so that's what I would say, be intentional about learning those things. And then also uh, one more thing, um, to be working on like your own racial self-awareness. I think self-awareness is so important. And I think a lot of leaders do think about that, but what does it mean for you as a white man or you as a black man or me as a black woman to show up in a space, a combination of how am I perceived in the space? How, you know, like what's happening here and to grow that awareness, I think is really important. And that can happen through reading um, and through listening to podcasts and that sort of thing. I would say for a person who is on a team that wants to be an agent of change, I think they also should, also should do the leadership development and the learning. Um, but I would also tell them to really, um, to find someone else to change with. And by that, I mean to find like a co-learner and someone who is either on the same level as you or someone who might be a little younger, a little older. I'm not sure quite how the hierarchy would breakdown, but who can you be learning with, I think is really important. Um, and to not go about pursuing change alone, because it's so hard. And if you're not doing it with other people, um, you'll burn out. That's good. Thank you. Yeah, I mm -hmm. think that's powerful. Um, David, actually, on our team, uh, he talks a lot about personal brand. And we define that more as reputation. It's saying, you know, we know that it's a, it's a pretty, it can get pretty crazy about platform versus personal brand and all this stuff. But saying that our personal brand is a soft skill that we have to own some responsibility for about how we're perceived. And it doesn't mean manipulating it to, to, uh, be an authentic. It's about self-awareness to say, okay, there are times when, um, I think, I think David and I probably most on this team can at sometimes appear more task oriented than people oriented, depending on the moment. And we love people. And so there's a reality of, okay, I have to be mindful about something so simple. Otherwise people will not know I care about them because they'll think I'm more focused on the objective than the people. And that's not, it, and that's not it. Um, and so I have to be more mindful about how I'm perceived in those contexts. I know that sounds, it's nothing compared to the, the larger scope of what Bethany's saying, but I do think it's a, it's a, it's a concept that if you're not fighting for in every area, 
there's something new. There's something else to be aware of in your life at all times. And I think, so I think that's really the challenge. Cause I, if you say, Kevin, how racially self-aware are you? I would, I would, I would have to say, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, I have, I have some gut feeling about it and my own experience might make me more sensitive to it, but that does not mean I'm racially self-aware. And, and I would even say culturally in the sense that, you know, you, we, it's easy for someone like myself or others to make assumptions about lots of Latin American cultures when they're, when, once again, they are, everyone's not the same. And so I think it's, it's an opportunity to continue to say, I can continue to push, um, my development. There was one former guest on the podcast that actually challenged me to learn more about the Filipino culture saying, okay, if you have a person on your team who's in the Philippines, like, what do you know about her culture? You know, like not enough, <laughs> you know, not enough to, to truly, to truly support her as a team member the way I need to. Um, and so I, so I think that's, that's a big part of it. So, uh, we just love to hear what is your vision going forward? How can we rally around you? How do we learn more uh, about what you're doing with the diversity app? Yeah. Um, so ultimately my vision for the diversity gap is that organizations would change and that, and that ordinary people would feel equipped and empowered to participate in creating the cultures that they want. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's about, yeah, it's about everyday people figuring out what influence do I have? Who am I? And how can I leverage that to create a more, um, just a more diverse and inclusive and loving society? And, and how can that begin in the organizations we lead and the businesses that we build and the neighborhoods we're a part of? Um, that's, that's my dream. That's the big picture. Um, in terms of ways people can stay involved, you can check out thediversitygap.com. Um, I'm launching a podcast on August 1st. I'm not sure when this episode will air, but if it's after August 1st, people can check out season one of the Diversity Gap podcast where I'm talking to leaders across the racial spectrum who do this sort of work with their professional lives. And so wow. that should be really interesting. Um, and then... Yeah, and then at Plywood Presents, I'll be sharing some content, which is a conference that Plywood hosts every year. It's July 31st through August 2nd. Again, I don't know when this will air, but if it's afterwards, you can catch up the content on YouTube. If it's before, we'd love for you to attend. You know, it's funny. We, I just recorded an episode last week that's going to air before Plywood Presents, so you've already heard it by this point. Uh, but I was plugging it like crazy. So this is another, another reason to uh, connect with this organization. I'm glad you got to hear one of the two members share that as well. Um, that reminds me, Kevin, when you, I, I invited you to Plywood Presents a couple of years ago, and you just had your uh, beautiful little baby girl, and you brought her with headphones. I still remember that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I came to Plywood with, with, a, with, a, uh, with an eight-month-old or a nine-month-old daughter strapped to my chest. So, uh, and I remember how, how every volunteer was so kind to me, so supportive, so helpful. Everybody wanted to hold her. She was adorable. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well this, well, this year my mom might be coming. So now, so now we're gonna flip those. I told my mom about it. She's convinced. She actually is going to with plywood. Has her, has her first call with plywood on July fifteenth. Uh, oh, kind of, yeah, awesome. to kind of know about how she can work with for an organization she's trying to work and to start. So you all are making a big difference. And Bethany, you are as well. We thank you for really just the sacrifice. At the end of the day, um, you're putting a lot of thought in it and and providing tools and strategies that people like us may not have put the thought into. Like I said, just something defining equity as sharing power. <laughs> that means just saying, yeah, you know what? I have an opportunity today to be more equitable than I was yesterday. And I and I think that's because of your hard work on the on the communication of this and the research behind it. Um, and I know how grateful I am. Obviously, David is as well. Um, so thank you again. Of course. Thanks for having me.
Absolutely. Thank okay. you, Bethany. So once again, everybody, go to thediversitygap.com. Um, subscribe when the podcast is released. This is We talk about growing on the go all the time on this podcast, automating your learning. This is the kind of thing you're like, hey, I may not be in a circle of, of leaders or peers that are discuss, having these conversations. This is your invitation into the conversation. This is you saying, okay, hey, I can go to a, to a place where people who might be more experienced, might be more researched than me are having these tough conversations. And I can be a fly on the wall. And I, and I think that in and of itself is a step forward because it's going to make you more aware of what's going on around you, the systems that might be holding your team members back, or even maybe the mental models they're operating from, right? Even if your organization is more inclusive, is more equitable, I've been on teams where someone shows up and they have not been in that environment before. Therefore, they don't know how to act because they themselves are saying, no, 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 that's not how I can conduct myself here. And that's not necessarily true because you're building a great situation for them to work in. And so we encourage you to do that. Uh, plywoodpeople.com, all the links are in the show notes. So if you want to know how to connect with Bethany, we put all that for you in a nice summary on launchuniversity.com forward slash podcast. We'll have links to every single thing here, including the podcast when it's released. And you can also subscribe to this podcast as well as the Diversity Gap podcast because we want to be a part of that with you. So however you found this episode, we thank you for listening and look forward to joining us next time. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.